you do like the feeling of power you have as a newspaper proprietor of being able to sort of formulate policies for a large number of newspapers in every state of Australia? Well, there's only one honest answer to that, of course, and that's yes. Of course one enjoys the feeling of power. The newspaper can create great controversies, stir up uh, arguments within the community, discussion, it can throw light on injustices, just as it can do the opposite. It can hide things uh, and be a great power for evil. It's not a perfect system, obviously, but can you think of a better one? Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Murdercracy, the podcast that keeps an eye on the news and influence of News Corp, the most influential media company in the Western world. I'm Cam Wilson. And I'm Sammy Shaw. Sammy, I was very disappointed to see that you were snubbed this week for uh Editor-in-Chief of the Sydney Morning Herald. I thought you were in there with a good shot, but um, yeah, you just missed out. You know, I ran a, uh, a smear campaign against all my competitors, mm-hmm. and in retrospect, I feel like that was a bad idea. Um, it just backfired on me. Plus, also, I've just been really busy myself. I've been going, you know, making all the signs and, and my, my clan rally hoodies for the protest marches and <laughs> stuff. And, you know, um, there's a, a guy I met who had a really good joke where he said, basically, seeming more and more like these uh, Melbourne protests are being sponsored by Spotlight because it's just a lot of craft work. It's just, <laughs> it's just people making stuff at home, you know, like you feel good for them. <laughs> uh, yeah, your, your pitch to pivot the uh, Sydney Morning Herald to be the number one uh, place for news for the anti-vaxxers and anti-vaccine mandate people didn't go down so well, did it? Not at all. I mean, they feel like they've already got their um, their outlets that they can rely on and they didn't need another one. And so, yeah, it was a big, in retrospect, yes, it was a big mistake. But, you know, they asked me what my 10-year plan was and I had to wing it at the spot. I didn't, you know, I hate job interviews. I think is the right answer there. <laughs> well, I look, I don't know. I, you know, they probably just couldn't handle the diversity, to be honest. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, as a, I, the Sydney Morning Herald, they've never had a non- white editor-in-chief right i mean that's probably pretty safe to assume for yeah for all of australian media um Mm. for people who don't know what we're talking about bevan shields who is a um long time fairfax or i guess nine uh papers employee um very very long time too like like yeah very much associated with that public with that kind of uh, media and everything and to be now promoted this is a big deal yeah, yeah, and so he 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 has worked in the press gallery for a long time, and and has been their London correspondent. I I, I can't get uh, out of my head. Um, he he wrote an article uh, uh, while he's over in London at the start of the pandemic, or a little bit into it, saying, um, you know, hey, you know, these guys in the UK, they're kind of doing the letter rip model. People are getting it, and he kind of wrote this piece about how it's um it's 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 not that bad. Like you know, people will get mm-hmm. it, and, and mm-hmm. it's herd immunity. And then um, it was only a few months later that he wrote about actually getting it and he had an awful time. Um, and I think, I like, you know, the both stories placed pretty closely against <laughs> each other was, um, look, I, it, it feels like uh, the, the idea of getting it versus the reality changed his mind a little bit on it. But I am. Um, yeah, possibly. Do you think, uh, do you think um, uh, there's a lot of journalists who, you know, at the start of the pandemic, there's a lot of them opining about how they think this should go, how it should turn out, etc. And since then, obviously, you know, like many people um, without the expertise, they have since been proven wrong. Do you think there was a moment of humble eating crow realizing that maybe I shouldn't be so quick to spout off with my opinions and things on things I don't know very much about, or they were able to kind of normalize this using cognitive dissonance? <laughs> I think there's a lot of cognitive dissonance. I'm going to own up and say mm-hmm. that I 
I did the um the 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 classic very savvy take. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I have I have a thing about the the um pitfalls of trying to be savvy. Where I was early on, I think it was in February, I was reading a a, a BuzzFeed um US piece about how they were saying, look, you know, we don't know much about the coronavirus yet, but like let's keep things in perspective. It's it's early days, but you know, the flu kills many, many more people every mm-hmm, year. Mm-hmm. So I was I was going around all my friends being, you know, very, very savvy, being that the friend who knows it, it knows it all, being like, uh, you don't need to worry about coronavirus, you need to worry about this little <laughs> thing called the flu. Yeah, that, um, you were that friend. Yeah, yeah, that that aged pr- uh, pretty mm-hmm. badly. <laughs> I, I mean, look, you know, it's such a fast moving area. I mean, we're seeing that now with Omicron, right? Like people yes. don't know what's going on. And the, the interesting thing is, I think we've done a better job this time of saying we don't know. And I think that's a that's that's something that is so hard for the media to do, right? Because it's our job to find something and it's our job to, at least, you know, if we don't have much, pick out something that will entice people to read and give a bit of knowledge. But, you know, we're kind of in a holding pattern where we don't know much about it at the moment. And and actually, like, you know, the responsible thing to say is that we know that we don't know, but we will yes. know soon, if you know yes. what I mean. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, we'll talk to experts and see what they have to say. And hopefully, um, you know, some of the experts will turn out to be more accurate than others, which is some of the a thing that happens when you talk to scientific experts about stuff and blah, blah, blah. But, like, yeah, it's definitely, in theory, this should have been a big wake-up call on science journalism and affecting everything mm. from climate change to all the other areas that we have, you know, science journalism is involved in. Um, but I, I don't know if it's actually happened that way. Yeah, it, actually, it's, it's funny that you say about experts. Sorry, I'll, I'll digress mm-hmm. one more time before we get into the meat of the show. Yeah, we will, we will actually talk about news corp. Yeah. But yes. <laughs> it's funny that you talk about like experts. You know, I'm a, I'm a tech journalist and I mm-hmm. you know, work with a variety of like academics and other experts. And there's at least one or two who, after working in the industry a while, I'm a bit sus about. And it's now really funny to see them held up in the media mm. uh, as someone whose opinion is, you know, you know, it's like an expert says this X, Y, Z. And 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 I'm sorry. And to be clear, I'm sus not because I think they're a fraud or anything, just because I think that their, you know, their judgment isn't necessarily great on this stuff. And so it is funny to see them held up in the way that someone who I'm like, oh, I respect and I think your opinion is, is you know, you're quite like pressing about this stuff versus someone being like, oh, I, I I, I don't, I'm not sure you entirely know what you're talking about, but you have yes. to talk about it in the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it does kind of expose the, um, I guess, the brittle foundations that a lot of the way that we find out about things uh, are based on. Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a thing that when you work in a newsroom, you know, you know, there's the there's the expert you call up and he's and they will say, Look, I'm not sure about the science, so I would rather not say something. And then there's the expert you call up, and they will say, "Yeah, I'm going to go in five. <laughs> the and cowboy, a, woo, yeah, woo, exactly. Yeah. And as a news producer, you're going, "I want the guy who's good to go in five. It's only accuracy be damned. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's just one of the brutal realities of 24-hour newsroom, and we've seen that affect the way we've reported on the pandemic. But that doesn't apply to this podcast because we've been, Not at all. you know, we, we've been, uh, you know, preparing, you know, day and night all week for this. Mm-hmm. This is the highlight of our week, and we're, we're and, ready to go. <laughs> and our experts are judiciously chosen using oh, the yeah. <laughs> age-old method of, uh, oh, they answered the phone. Let's and, get <laughs> So this week, speaking of, we will be chatting to Sally Rugg, who is the main organizer behind um, the push for the Murdoch uh, Royal Commission. We've spoken mm-hmm. to, obviously, former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd about it. 
um, who who led the or made the initial call for it, has been pushed behind it. Um, the movement has now kind of picked up a bit of pace. Uh, Sally Rugg, who has been around in the Australian media scene and and politics scene for a while, stepped up as the main organizer for it. So we will be chatting to her about it um, and and kind of how it's progressing because I'm I'm mm-hmm. kind of interested to see you know how how it is kind of chugging along. Um, well, it's the one story that's been kind of consistently going on in the background since we started our podcast. And we've had, you know, like you said, we spoke to Kevin Rudd, we've covered it ourselves in its in its more nascent stages. And now to find out, I guess, before the end of the year, at what stage it's reached and where the future of this of this entire campaign is going to go uh, would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. So we'll be changing here in just a second. But now we're going to get on to News Corp News of the Week. News Corp's national broadsheet is doing a big reshuffle. The Australian have moved a few people around, but perhaps the most interesting uh, thing that I saw was the appointment of Louise Bryant as managing editor. The Sydney Morning Herald's uh, Samantha Hutchinson and Stephen Brooke reported that on top of her experience being managing editor for Vogue, Vogue Living and GQ Australia, she spent four years working as a, um, a, a with a private individual, brackets, Sydney and LA. Now, Sammy, I'm putting you on the spot. Mm. This is part of her CV. This is part of her pitch. Do you have any idea who that might be? Private individual. Okay, so before I answer this, yes, is, is this the thing where you already know and I have to guess? Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, she okay, worked right. as a private assistant for someone who was in, in on the CV as a private individual. Brackets Sydney and LA. Okay, Sydney and LA. I'm gonna go with either. Hmm, does Chris Hemsworth live in Sydney these days? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've definitely seen him around, actually. Uh, All right. Oh, really? Hang on. Wait, what? I literally saw him uh, probably uh, eight, six or eight weeks ago in Wara when I was going to How the How is that shop. not the first thing you bring up every time we do a podcast? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a little bit outside of our scope. But uh, yes, so he, he has been in Sydney okay. for shooting. It's not him. I'm okay. going to give you. I'll give you a hint. Mm-hmm. It has something to do with the News Corp Empire. Okay, I thought you were going to say with the MCU, um, <laughs> with the News Corp Empire. No, that's our other podcast, <laughs> right? Yes, <laughs> Sydney and LA. All right, News Corp Empire, Sydney and LA. I'm going to go all the way to the top, and I'm going to say uh, Old Mate Rupert himself. Very close. That was that was very good. I wouldn't have got this in a million years. Okay. Um. It is. Uh. She worked for four years. Uh. As the executive private assistant for Sarah Murdoch, wife mm. of co-chairman and chief executive of Fox News Corp. Uh. 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 uh, uh sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh. I didn't say that properly. Wife and co-chairman of chief executive. Um. Lachlan Murdoch. And so, wow. so she has been at the very top. She did that. And then she was parachuted in. Oh, I shouldn't say parachuted. You know, she was uh, held the roles that I mentioned before, which mm-hmm, were mm-hmm. Um, working at GQ Australia, Vogue and Vogue Australia. And now she's the managing editor. Now, the managing editor, my understanding, is is kind of, is not hugely uh editorial it's it's mostly staffing so well yeah that and that's i think something that we need to like you know for listeners who don't know the different roles within some an organization that is a managing editor doesn't really oversee editorial content very much at all it's more dealing with sales teams than and and like you said hr stuff than anything else right it's it's not quite but like you'd almost say the journalistic equivalent of the cfo where they're, Mm -hmm. they're, they're less about the actual um 
you know, they're more about the kind of businessy aspect of it. So yeah, no, uh, there was a few others as well, but that was on the one that really stood out to me it is, it, you know, like just like succession for those who've been watching, yes. I've actually caught up by the way, Sammy. Mm-hmm. So I'm, 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 and I'm fully in. I was, I, I was like, maybe I'm not, not into this new season. No, no, it is a great I, season. I, I, I'm, I'm all in. Um, but it just like the, the Roy's in succession at the end of the day, the Murdochs are, they really are just a, a family business. And doesn't that warm your heart? Mm-hmm, absolutely. It's um, it's very much the model of um, of a news kind of um, ownership that's always existed, really, is that these things have always been family businesses and continue to remain family businesses. And, and proximity to the family guarantees you a certain level of success and wealth and access. And so, yeah, I mean, and obviously not diminishing anyone's um, skill sets or experience and expertise, um, but yes, clearly, you know, being so close to Lachlan Murdoch in terms of uh, um, a professional relationship has definitely helped as well. Yeah, I've got to figure out how we can uh, elbow our way into that orbit. Hey, <laughs> I yeah, I th- I don't know what what do we do. Do we invite Lachlan onto the podcast or um, yeah, what's our, what's our in here? Or maybe maybe we just like you know we we hang out at the same uh, like you know we hang out where we know boat club. Where do they hang out? Gentlemen's club. Uh, yeah, yeah, those kinds of things. Illuminati uh, gathering. Yeah, right. exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and then and then eventually, I think you know whether or not proximity he'll eventually make us um, some kind of editor at the Australian so Mm -hmm. only a matter of time (laughs) I see this plan working completely flawlessly here's another interesting story about kind of relationships but this is about the revolving door between journalism Mm -hmm. and politics Jessica Leo Kelton who is the editor of the Sunday Mail and Saturday Advertiser that's an obviously in South Australia News Corp publications Mm -hmm. will join the South Australia Premier's Department next year as the Director of Communications. That's according to Indaily's David Washington. The director position to be taken up uh, was advertised as a SAES-1, which for people who aren't familiar with the ins and outs of uh, South Australian public service, that's a uh, that, that puts you at about $260,000 a year. So not bad. That is an excellent salary. That is oh, way yeah. above even the uh, salary for social media manager um, that was paid to Barnaby Joyce's current uh, partner. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Either is good. Um, the, so the role is they'll develop stri- st- uh, strategic communications that will raise the pride and profile of the public sector, work across government, as well as lead internal communication, media relations, and and corporate uh, uh, corporate communications activities. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I always find these really interesting, Sammy, because I'm a journalist, and yes. I, of course, I'm I'm hugely interested in politics. So, I'm, you know, I, and obviously, I care about um, what's happening in you know how governments work. But the idea of actually going into politics and and the kind of you know the people who move between them and sometimes even move back kind of boggles me. I, I really don't know how you can be someone who does both and not just one. Well, there's a thing in, um, so I do stand-up comedy, as you know, uh, as well. And in stand-up comedy, there's two types of comedians. And by the way, there's no judgment on either one of these, but there definitely are very much two types of comedians. One is the comedian who loves doing comedy for the sake of doing comedy, and then also does other things. So I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, Okay, Diluc Jayasena or Dave Hughes, for example. Mm -hmm. Both of them, even though they're like, you know, Dilruk is currently on MasterChef and and a whole bunch of other TV shows. Uh, Dave Hughes, we know, has a huge career in radio and TV and everything. They will mm-hmm. still you'll still see them at comedy clubs all the time. You'll still see them gigging, working on the next hour, etc. 
So they're comedians who love doing comedy and they do other stuff. Then they're the ones who join comedy just to get famous enough to then transition to something else like hosting a TV show, presenting mm. a radio show, etc. And then comedy is something they can shed behind them because now they've got the next deal or gig that they really wanted. Some of these journalists remind me of that. You know, the ones who become journalists spend some time in the, in the field um, working within journalism, but very much use it as a way to develop connections, develop relationships, so they can transition to PR or transition to head of communications in a political kind of uh, spectrum. And uh, it, look, it definitely makes me uneasy because it, it calls into question that one thing that we so fundamentally need to continue to call into question is the relationship between journalists and people in power. Um, you know, if you're close enough to someone in power that they will hire you from a journalistic role to then work on their team, then that calls into question the journalism you did for them or at, around them or at them or off them in the past as well, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Like, you know, we, you know, hypothetically, you know, in a world uh, where everyone does their jobs and understands people who are doing their mm-hmm. jobs, you know, a, a, a politician should be able to hire a journalist who held them to account critically because they know that they're just doing their job. That's not really the way that it works in the real world, I don't think. Like, I don't, I don't think uh, Andrew Lamming isn't going to hire Louise Milligan because of the way yes. that, you know, or like or Alan Tudge or... or what or a cool that would be, though. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Because they, they say, well, you know, you, you cover the things that I either did bad or allegedly did bad, but... Uh, you know, I respected the way you covered it. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to come on as a spinner. It's not really how it works. It, it, you do get the sense that it is people who've had a, a cozy relationships, who's who've who've gotten those drops, who've covered them in ways that um, you know, meant that they thought there was someone to bring on board. Like an example of this was um uh, I think it was the the political editor of the, the Korea Mail. Her name was Renee something. I've forgotten her last name. But she w- would often write uh you know a lot about um Peter Dutton and 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 police and immigration and depending on where he was in a very positive way. And then, you know, just all of a sudden she quit and went to go work for the um, Queensland Police Department and, and I think like headed up their communications as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, it, it, it I don't know, it just makes you look at what they did during their journalistic career and, and just like think about it. The other thing I was just going to mention before we move on as well is the other one that weirds me out is journalists who become politicians themselves like we're seeing that well that's something we're seeing very mm, recently mm. in the uh, next election as well with an ex-abc journalist now through yes. her, her yeah. the ring. zoe dan and that was the one mm-hmm. i was thinking about because i saw i saw over the uh i saw kind of her campaign launch and stuff and i was seeing some of her stuff on social media and it was just it's it, it's crazy how quickly someone goes into politician mode and by that mm-hmm. i mean like she was doing the like you know three word slogans she was even doing the like oh you know like uh, like saying oh we need to cut you know emissions by 50 percent despite the fact that i'm sure as a journalist she knows that like you know doing that would do like make sure that we enter into a climate apocalypse like like but obviously i i, I mean this is much my gut feeling it's like, like a pragmatic decision she made you know as part of her election pitch but mm-hmm. it, it, it like to me it's like how someone can can switch gears into being you know a, a politician and of course she's observed it and all these other politicians uh, uh, all these other journalists have in the past i don't know i, I don't know could, could you do it do you think you can make a switch like that i mean there's um i don't i'd never get into politics that's for sure you would um, never we, no, no i'll hold you to that 
you can definitely hold me to that. <laughs> the day I get into politics is the day you know that I have incurred a massive gambling debt that I need to pay <laughs> off very, very quickly. And the only way in Australia to actually get rich quickly is through joining politics. So, uh... um, no, there's no universe in which I would ever consider myself uh, like debased enough to be a politician. Um, but... Yes, it is. Uh, look, you and I know so many journalists with ego levels that are equivalent mm. to that of a politician. I think that's also kind of where this comes down to. A politician is usually someone who looks at the world and goes, I shall fix this and make a lot of money while doing it. But And I think sometimes there are journalists who also have the same kind of approach to it. They usually tend to be, by the way, not terrible journalists because it's a good skill to have as a journalist. And it's a good skill to, or, or good attitude to have as a journalist, a good attitude to have as a politician. I do again same thing you worry about when they do that make this transition those mm. accusations that are always leveled against journalism about bias then become harder to dispute when mm. okay it's a journalist who's been covering politics for years and then joins the labor party yeah. you know i believe um uh prue goward was a, a high profile journalist she was with the abc and everything didn't she get into politics as well yes yeah, so S S sarah henderson mm -hmm. who is a liberal mp um and then I've forgotten who was the, the MP who took over from... Oh, Maxime McHugh, who took over John Howard, uh, booted him out of the 2007 election. She I mean, was... Tony Abbott used to work for the Australian. That's true. George Christensen <laughs> was a newspaper man. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them have it. And I guess, like, you know, people who are fascinated with that stuff, you know, decide they want to stop si sitting on the uh, on the sidelines and mm -hmm. get into it. But I don't know. Me, me personally, I just, like, I, like you, I know you have to make concessions for being a politician that's the truth and I, I don't i don't know that i could do that like i would i would feel dishonest and and i know that there are ways of being you know i, I think you can you can probably do it without being dishonest but you, mm -hmm. you certainly have to make certain sacrifices and i think you know be strategic and, and i i don't i don't know if i have it in me it, it just comes down to the press gallery situation, right? Where there, there are these journalists who work and live in Canberra or, or the ones who report on political stuff, even on state levels, who have a proximity to power and then are so clearly enticed by that, that eventually they mm. see themselves in the same positions of power as opposed to um, having this really important role of reporting on the power. Oh, Sammy, you're making the case for Sammy Shah 2022 federal <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I think you should think about it. <laughs> uh, which party would I be a member of, by the way? Yeah. Oh, I think you'd, that's also part you'd of be thing. independent with with an incredible grassroots uh, I don't support. know. Shoot, Shooters and Fishers has always had um, oh. um, a campaign that I've enjoyed watching <laughs> from afar. <laughs> I like shooting things. I like eating fish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and, and finally, Australia's own Miranda Devine has just released a book about Hunter Biden in the US and it is a a big hit. Divine, who goes on Fox News all the time, still writes columns that are published in the Daily Telegraph here, published a book and the name and the cover are great. I wish I could show you the cover, but I can just, you can probably get some uh, a bit of a feel for it from the name. It's called Laptop from Hell. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's number one on Amazon. Here's the blurb. When a drug-addled Hunter Biden abandoned his waterlogged computer at a Mac repair shop in Delaware in the spring of 2019, just six days before his father announced his candidacy for the U.S. presidency, it became a ticking time bomb in the shadows of the Joe Biden campaign. Sammy, I, I can already feel through my headphones the anticipation. You're just about to go pick it up, aren't you? 
I mean, I'll, I'm going to buy the audiobook. I'm going to oh, buy yeah. the paperback. I'm oh, going to yeah. get the hardcover. Oh, I'm yeah. going to get an autograph. I mean, how could you not, right? <laughs> I mean, just the cover alone, it looks like a... Do you know those Chuck Tingle books? Yes, yes. <laughs> it, looks like it. The, it looks like a Chuck Tingle book. <laughs> it, it's a Chuck Tingle... Uh, uh, Chuck Tingle does those kinds of uh, we they kind of like knock off erotic fiction. Yes, they're basically like Amazon self-published knockoff erotic fiction by this man named Chuck Tingle, which is a, a pseudonym, and they hilariously on purpose, you know, ridiculous got have ridiculous titles like um, uh, let me see if I can find find one. There we go. Um, pounded in the butt by my book. You know, it's everything is pounded in the butt by or something oh, yeah. like that, you know. And so this definitely seems like pounded in the butt by yep. Hunter Biden's laptop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got some here. So there's a Chuck Tingle, executive boner, uh, mm-hmm. uh, living inside my own butt for eight years, starting a business, turning a profit through common sense reinvestment and strategic targeted marketing. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, no, it really does have that kind of like, dingy but then with with kind of like strong reds color and it's it's so just to explain the cover it's um it's hunter biden's uh face he's smoking a cigarette it's it's a dark shot of him uh and he's um it's just like a, a straight on and he looks quite disheveled and uh yeah there's a, there's certainly a, a feeling of a erot- rotter around it i um you Look, know i'll it- say this much on goodreads the book has a oh, yeah. 4.56 rating stars wow. rating. Let me see. Um, are there any good reviews? There's nine reviews. They all are are raving about it. Uh, thank you for your service. Um, how exactly? Ah. Uh, hang on. Um, I wish I had not. Okay, but this is funny. Someone's given it five stars. Yeah. But they've written, I wish I had not read this book. It made me sick to my stomach oh. uh, to read about the corruption, debauchery, addiction, and outright evil permeating the president and his family. Blah. blah. Basically, it's like, you know, this book is the truth that we needed about the Bidens. Uh-huh. Um, great book. Everyone should read it. Shows need need for term limits and stronger ethics laws. Well, that's a good positive yeah, outcome. Yeah, 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 actually, yeah, can't disagree, disagree with that. that. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, I might pick this up now. I, I here's one from Shannon Zagar on Amazon. She gave it five stars. The name of the review is Sewer Rats. And she wrote, Oh my gosh, a lot of ellipses, a lot of like, you know, full stops. True evil work walks this earth. Extremely well written. Wow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 190 people found that uh, uh, helpful. Um, oh, and here's another one from Amanda Chevalier. And the title is called Thank You, Miranda. Finally, the truth comes out. And then if Miranda can research, write, and publish this book in a year, what is our DOJ, FOI, and CIA excuses? <laughs> well, th- look, that's not, a, that's not a wrong point. I mean, given her output, just in terms of the, the columns she writes, the Fox News appearances she makes, and the amount of time she spends on Twitter, just, you know, absolutely making wild accusations about things. Yeah. I don't know how she also found the time to write and research and write an entire book about, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop. So clearly from a productivity standpoint, she is someone that we need to look at as a inspiration and an icon. Absolutely. Maybe her next book should be, um, you know, Miranda's like guide to, to productivity. Yeah, that's that not a matter. Yeah, her and Shari Markson can, can do yeah. a joint that edition. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's the, the, the sequel, Laptop from Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sally Grog is the National Director of Australians for Murdoch Royal Commission. Uh, it's an organization, a not-for-profit organization that is co-chaired by uh, former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd, who we spoke to previously on the podcast about this as well. Uh, thank you so much for speaking with us, Sally. Thank you so much for having me on. And um, thanks for making this podcast. I think it's so cool, obviously. It's like right in the centre of my sort of Venn diagram of interests. Of <laughs> um, yeah, I've been really enjoying it. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for making it. No, it's uh, yeah, I can't take any credit. It was entirely Cam's idea, and he asked me to be along for the ride, which I'm enjoying thoroughly. But that's that that is you know the Cam's idea as well, which was the News Corp is an organization that has this really large, um, some argue outsized, but definitely large um, presence in Australia, politically, culturally, socially, uh, economically, all of these things, and we just wanted to do kind of a deep dive into that. But um, that seems to be you know our interest in your. Your interest and the, the reasons for your interest seem to overlap in that regard, but you're taking it to a slightly different level. How is the campaign going now? Yeah, you're, you're so right. Like similar interests, definitely different objectives. I think it's fair mm-hmm. to say the podcast and the campaign. Um, the campaign is going really well. Um, as you just sort of mentioned uh you know explaining the purpose of the podcast about um Murdoch's news corporation in Australia and how it's like very large some might say too large um and that's kind of that's the rub right mm-hmm. like it is it is large it is very large and it's also extremely unusual like it it's not normal to have um, a media company as large and as dominant um, as Murdoch's News Corporation, um, you know, being having having such a huge stake in the news media market. Like you don't see this overseas. You don't see this um, in you know comparable democracies, whatever that might mean. Um, well, but, the three uh, biggest democracies that we can think of, you know, United Kingdom, USA, and Australia. When you think about something like this, it seems to be pretty standard as maybe this is the new normal standard how how do you mean i mean both all three seem to have a very large murdoch empire presence oh for sure i mean like yes and no right like the the uk has done some uh like really interesting i think and um uh like important reforms to their news media market over the last couple of years um and particularly since 2012 um when there was this you know huge inquiry into um Murdoch's uh tabloid papers news of the world and the sort mm-hmm. of whole you know the whole uh Murdoch empire over in the UK so the UK is kind of um i would say a few years ahead of Australia in terms of strengthening protections for, um, you know, the public who consume the news. Um, And the US is an interesting one because, um, you know, Fox News in particular is an extremely loud um, voice, like Mm -hmm. a Mm -hmm. set of voices. Um, However, in the US, it's not the same sort of saturation of the market. Um, so whereas here in Australia, um, we have the third most concentrated media market in the world. And so I, I think it is very fair to say that um, the Murdoch media that we have in Australia 
isn't quite as extreme as Fox News in America. I yes. think that's fair. Um, and I think it's fair to say that the tabloids in Australia aren't as extreme as the tabloids in the UK, for instance. Mm-hmm. However, like, uh, you know, but arguably we are um, hurtling down the path of Fox News um, with Murdoch Sky Television here in Australia, but I'll, I'll put a pin in that and come back to that later. Yeah. But what is unique here in Australia is the saturation of um, Murdoch uh, News. And so, like, there's all sorts of different sort of numbers because you can cut it different ways. You can talk about ownership, you can talk about circulation, you can talk about readership and viewership. Like, there's sort of different ways you can measure the saturation and dominance. But... Um, you know, the, the reality is is that if someone lives in regional Queensland, for instance, like it, their only news is sort of like, uh, you know, a local paper mm. that is has now been moved online um, and that, you know, brought up by Mur- Lachlan Murdoch has now been moved online. And so if you're sort of trying to access the, you know, local paper in Mackay, you're also getting served up. Um, stories from the Korean Mail and also stories that have been recycled from Sky Television. Um, and so it's just this, um, it's, it's a level of saturation that's very uh, unique to Australia and we think like really dangerous. We don't think that there should be such a, um, you know, so little diversity of news and information. So one of the things when you um, had been announced as uh, in your role with uh, Australians for Murdoch Royal Commission as a national director, you know, there was a response right away from Andrew Bolt on his uh, TV show. And uh, he, you know, he read out stuff from the press release and everything in his defense was um uh, and i'll quote directly the uh, words were there is no me- murdoch media monopoly in fact the media is more diverse than uh, than ever and if i if i can kind of summarize the point i think that if i may be so bold he's trying to make is that look the there's the, there's the abc there's the guardian you know there's the age there's all these organizations which are the leftist news media and we need the murdoch empire or the news corp mean news media to provide the right side of the politics balance and therefore this is a balanced news media not a monopoly news media um mm. how, how like how do you respond to that yeah i mean well there's a there's a few things in that like the the first point i'll make is that um our campaign it, like is not seeking to um, get rid of News Corp. Like, mm-hmm. absolutely not. Like, uh, Which isn't um, even possible, realistically speaking, it's, it, you know, the empire, right. Yeah, it's not possible and it would not be good for democracy. You know, like, we want more journalists um, working really hard. Uh, we want, like, really, like, well-funded, sustainable local newspapers that can investigate fearlessly and we want... Um, more publications mm-hmm. who can, you know, can publish bravely for f- like without fear of, um, you know, falling foul of prosecutions, of, you know, defamation or whistleblower laws. Or, you know, like we want a, a more diverse, more robust and, um, you know, just greater uh, media. So, th- like, I think it's really important that there are, publications and voices that um, 
sort of pursue right-wing um, angles and frames and conservative uh, talking points and all the rest of it. Like, that's great. Like, this is not a, you know, Australians against the spectator and Quillette, you know, <laughs> like it's we're not Australians against 2GB, although I suspect many of our members <laughs> are not huge fans of 2GB. But um, so Andrew Bolt is being a little bit cheeky, I think, suggesting that this campaign is seeking to, um, you know, get rid of right-wing voices. That's not the case at all. And in terms of diversity, like there is a sort of technical truth that, you know, there are more, there is a diversity of information at the moment because, mm -hmm. you know, you can open up a social media app and see, you know, thousands upon thousands of blogs or podcasts or, um, you know, links from, you know, anywhere, anywhere in the world. So that's a, a huge diversity of information um and in terms of the australian um you know what australians consume as news like uh yeah there's the guardian and the abc which is really great speaking of online um people in australia read the bbc they read um like the new york times uh they read al jazeera like all really reputable and wonderful publications but like when was the last time the BBC reported on like what's happening in the local council in Cairns mm -hmm. or like when was the last time that Al Jazeera um, followed, you know, this inquiry into the, I don't know, like the, the child protection system in Western Australia, you know, like, right. yes. the, so, so like, sure, there's some more diversity, but when we're talking about, um, diverse Australian publications it's um you know the sort of protectionism there is about making sure that um journalists are able to hold power to account not just you know in the press gallery but right the way through to um you know as our states our communities um yeah and so last year um under the cover of the COVID pandemic, um, Lachlan Murdoch and News Corporation Australia bought up like a, a hundreds of regional newspapers and promised that they were going to, that News Corporation was going to reinvigorate local news mm -hmm. um, only to a few months later, close them down. So we lost 112 regional titles, regional publications, some that had been, you know, publishing to their local communities or their, um, you know, areas. They weren't all sort of like teeny tiny papers. <laughs> These are like big, big papers. Um, you know, some of whom that have been in operation for decades. Mm -hmm. um, and these, like, when these papers were bought up by a news corporation, like, that was, you know, in my opinion, like too much media ownership for one one person, one corporation, but closing them down is far worse. <laughs> you know, now yeah. there's hard-working journalists across the country who lost their work. There's communities all around Australia who lost their source of local news. And so, like, sure, they can read the New York Times, but it, it doesn't give them local information and it also doesn't hold... Unless um, something's gone horribly wrong in the community, yeah. Usually, yeah, yes. exactly. And um, like, you don't want the Wall Street 
journal to sort of be like, hey, there's this tiny town in regional New South Wales. All right. Well, so, what, you know, one of the things that you'd said when you were announced as a national director of this campaign is that uh, I'm quoting here from an interview you had, I think, with Amanda Mead at The Guardian. Uh, yeah. where you, said you were really frightened to take on the role because, and I'm quoting, uh, because I know that they, News Corp, will come at me and try to destroy my reputation and intimidate me into silence. It's been a few weeks since then. Has there been that kind of campaign? No. But what do does you, that mean? It's it's weird, right? So um, I'll, I'll share a little um, trade secret. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. give you a little bit of how the sausage was made. So yes. that Andrew Bolt piece that you referred to just a moment, moment mm-hmm. ago. So the way that we launched Australians from Murdoch Royal Commission was we did a like a soft launch. So we did like an announcement to um, our, you know, supporters of the campaign and a media release. So we did like a little announcement on the Sunday and we had a big online like campaign launch the following Thursday. Um, and we did that in the hope that we would get a hit piece like this <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that would essentially, you know, like we were right. hoping it, that news All coverage is good coverage. Yeah, that they would announce they would announce the campaign for us, um, and it you know it worked a treat. I could you know we couldn't have asked for a better piece of publicity than mm. Andrew Bolt, um, you know, essentially reciting the campaign lines from the website. Um, yeah, so I, like I'm not trying to be too um, uh, mm-hmm. inviting of attacks here, but like that. So that was exactly what we wanted. That was really good. Um, and we made hay of that attack, if you, I mean, or that that piece. And so on the Thursday night launch, we had twelve thousand people attend that online launch, which is like I have been running digital campaigns for quite a long time now, um, mm-hmm. you know, like coming up to ten years, which is like quite a long time in digital campaigning world because it's. Um, uh, yeah, people get you, burnt you out. Were even lot, but... instrumental, you were even instrumental in running the uh, the Yes Vote campaign. Well, I, I was, I uh, worked, for, yeah, I, I worked on the uh, marriage equality campaign for about five yes. years. And I. So you've seen, as in my point being, yeah, yeah, you've seen, you've seen how this goes, how it runs. You've had, you've had time in the trenches. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Like I've, I've done this for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Zoom can host up to a thousand people before you have to buy a really expensive one. And I was like, I don't know, like, I don't know if we're going to get more than a thousand. Like, fortunately, we uh, borrowed someone else's big Zoom thing, which is very <laughs> fortunate. But anyway, the, the point is, is that Bolt attack, we were very pleased with that. And I f- fully, fully um, anticipated um, nonstop attacks. Mm-hmm. And I, that was my assumption. And also I'll add like every other friend and family member I spoke to ranging from, you know, people who work in the press gallery or, you know, former Murdoch journalists or, you know, like people who are very close to um, this world, Mm -hmm. political staffers, right the way through to um, like my sister who is sort of like, you know, politically engaged, but it's not working in the gut, you know, like yeah, a the civilian, full gamut. Right. Yeah, the civilians, right. And 
every single one of them, their first reaction was fear for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like there, there was no like, oh, my gosh, how exciting or like, oh, like, wow, congratulations. Like it was just um, fear and like, are you sure you want to do this because they will try to destroy your life. Um, and it was something I weighed up a lot. So I, I, and I have had this experience, like not as, not to the extent that someone like my friend Yasmin Abdel Majid mm -hmm. experienced, or some of my um, Aboriginal friends who, like, um, you know, like I've had friends who've experienced it far worse, and we have, you know, witnessed. Um, many people, usually women, usually women of colour, experience mm. news corporation attacks far worse than I have. However, when I was working on the marriage equality campaign, News Corp was like completely rabid. Um, that, you know, like particularly during the survey campaign when there was like not that much to report on for months, it was just sort of like, yeah, everyone's voting yes or no. Like a real um, daily beat was... Um, attacking the yes side and that that looked like attacking the visible yes campaigners so like I got several beat ups mm -hmm. then and you know there's been other points so like I've I weirdly feel like I am sort of uniquely um match ready for an onslaught of attacks but it hasn't happened and so my sense is you know a view I have formed after speaking to some people who used to work for News Corporation mm -hmm. and people who are general Murdoch watchers um, is that that uh, News Corporation are deliberately ignoring the campaign, perhaps no, because... Not giving of, that free publicity, basically. Exactly. And I think perhaps because of that Andrew Bolt piece mm -hmm. that we sort of turned into ads <laughs> for ourselves yeah. and, you know, used as a fundraiser. So, well, but that's, I also, that's, that's the thing that, yeah. I, that kind of makes me wonder, right? In terms of as 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 beasts go, it is a nimble and agile beast. The the News Corp organization it survived a long time. It survived a lot of different uh, attempts at, at at limiting its power, and and some would argue it's it's actually thrived um, despite everything that's kind of come at it, including the internet and the dot com boom, all of these things, um, and and previous attempts at at, at you know limiting its power. Um, do you think or do you worry that uh, there's a very good chance that this campaign, even though it's, it's got some heavy hitters behind it, a former prime minister, Luca Lucari, who works for Trades Hall and has done a lot of work in this area as well, yourself included, um, in the end, if, you know, let's say the next election, we see a return of the same federal government, this just will never get up. Stranger things have happened, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like if someone had said that a not only would a liberal national government legislate for same-sex marriage but they would do so and try to put their own brand all over it mm -hmm. and say like the legacy of the liberal party look what we did like if someone was to so that happened in 2017 if someone was to tell you that in 2015 i definitely predicted that in 2015 i remember actively saying exactly you, those words right. yes that, okay, well, let's, that let's you know do, that they'll do this and they'll put 20, their brand on it right let's do 2014 <laughs> okay, when yeah, yeah. Still in power. right yes okay. good point when, yeah but my, my point being is like or, or look at the banking royal commission right but mm -hmm. 
is like, no, 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 no. Okay. Yes. Okay. And it's ours. And so like one of the, um, you know, like something that is true for almost every successful campaign is that the, mm-hmm. the person or the body of power or the, um, you know, the decision maker, like the reason it is a campaign is because there is opposition to making change. And if yes. your campaign is successful, like not only do you change the mind or, you know, you, you can make that change with the decision maker, but also through the course of your campaign, you make the change you're trying to achieve. Um, you know, you have the, the job of a campaign is to make inaction on something incredibly politically costly mm-hmm. and action on it incredibly politically beneficial. And yes. so, and so like, um, the best and simultaneously worst part of successful campaigns is seeing the person or the party or the corporation or whoever it is who has said no for so long turn around and be like, yes, we're doing it and it was our idea and this is why. You know, so basically, like, at the moment, like, I could not imagine Prime Minister Scott Morrison calling a Royal Commission into mm-hmm. media diversity you know, this week, but like I said, like stranger things have happened. And, um, I think if there is, uh, one thing that, uh, you know, if, if there's an observation that one could make about prime minister Scott Morrison is that he will, he, like many other politicians will do something if it's popular. Yes. Like he, he doesn't, apart from sort of like, um, being able to expel gay and transgender kids from school. Like apart mm-hmm. from that, he doesn't really seem to have a lot of um, died in the wall convictions. So, um, yeah, and, and like an example I'll give is um, in this final week of parliament, uh, the responses that Morrison has uh, given to um the, the Kate Jenkins review into sort of workplace harassment and bullying and sexism uh, and also the recent allegations made against Education Minister Alan Tudge of um, emotional abuse mm-hmm. by a former staff member. Like the, the way that Prime Minister Morrison has responded to those two, um, uh, you know, th- those two things in this final week of the Parliament is profoundly different than the way he responded to similar things um, this time a year ago, or even even just a few months ago. Even just a few months ago, and so like I don't think that Scott Morrison, like personally, in my opinion, I don't think that Scott Morrison is suddenly a feminist. What I do think is that he and his government have realised that it is um, politically costly to not take issues of um, sexual harassment and violence against women seriously. And there is political benefit Mm. in, um, you know, showing respect to women and believing allegations made against government ministers. And, like, I don't – who cares what the motivation is? Like, if they think there's votes in this and they want to do it, good. (laughs) And so, uh, like, I have to be relentlessly optimistic because – that's what being a campaigner is, right? Yes. Like it's, it's being like... <laughs> Good point. It That's a very important trait, yes. 
yeah, like, sure, it doesn't look like this could happen right now, but, like, in, in 1997, homosexuality was still illegal. It was still mm-hmm. criminal in parts of Australia, right? Like, Tasmania was the final state to decriminalise homosexuality in 1997. In 2007, that was the year, that, that was the first poll that showed majority support for same-sex marriage at 51%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then 2017, so this is 10 years, 10 years, 10 years, 2017, the Federal Marriage Act is amended so gay gay people can get married. Like, mm-hmm. so, like, I use that example. So that's a 20-year that's a period. And, of course, like, um, LGBT rights, um, like, you know, those movements have been, um, you know, live and working since sort of the 60s, 70s in earnest. But my point being is, like, it can feel like something is never, ever going to happen. But actually, when you stop and look back on how far you've come um, or, or, you know, or if you've won a campaign mm-hmm. and you sort of zoom out a bit, it's like, oh, my God, I never thought that could have happened. And I, I use that example because I don't think that here in Australia, when we are talking about Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch's stranglehold over our <clears throat> democracy and our sort of public uh, public opinion and public consciousness um, and, you know, the impact that this, this news beast has on our communities, like I don't think we are in 1997, mm-hmm. you know, or, like I don't think we are at 2007 with 50% plus one in the polls. Like I think we are much closer uh, than it might feel and ju- just because – Rupert Murdoch and now his son Lachlan, you know, have been these incredibly powerful figures and that News Corporation has held um, extraordinary power for this long. It it doesn't mean that that's going to be like that forever. And I I think we're closer to um, seeing some really big change than than you might think. So, Sally, if uh, people want to get involved in the campaign itself, want to learn more about it, you've got, you know, I know you've got even an entire charter that you've got created for the campaign. Uh, Where can they go? Yeah, great. So um, our website is AFMRC. So that's like Australians for a Murdoch Royal Commission, afmrc.org.au. And if you go to that website, you can like sign up to be on our email list. And so mm-hmm. at the moment I'm emailing our members once or twice a week, depending on what's happening like in the world with uh, campaign actions to take. So recent, like the last, we've only been live for five weeks, but the last few weeks um, members have been uh, sending emails to the senators who are on the Senate inquiry into media diversity. And I know you had Sarah Hanson Young on Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago. So they have been sort of like doing an email lobbying campaign to those senators uh, requesting that they recommend a Royal Commission out of this uh, inquiry process. Um, They've also been like putting in phone calls to decision makers uh, within different political parties um, and they, yeah, so I sort of like get in touch each week being like, okay, this is what's happening. Can you please take this campaign action? So you can sign up to the email list. Um, and there's also two other 
sort of functions, I suppose, on the website. One is called Report the News. And so um, it, anybody who has ever, like, tried to make a complaint to any media publication, mm -hmm. really, um, would know that it is um, – it is akin to like trying to update your details with Centrelink. Yes. Like it's, <laughs> and it's designed to break you. Um, and it's, you know, it's this like arduous, complex, um, useless process. Like it's almost as if the media watchdogs don't want people to make complaints. It's extraordinary. Um, but like, it, and then if you actually do even get your complaint heard by ACMA or the press council, and it's upheld like if 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 it's all very unlikely but if that happens like the consequence is um nothing right like the consequence is like a one line in the newspaper being like correction mm -hmm. we should not have incited a race war you know like there's no um yeah so the, we've got this one function called report the news and so it's like a a tool on the website that helps streamline that process a to make the complaint and B, to um, nominate AFMRC to act um, on the complaint's behalf so then we can sort of advocate, um, yeah, on behalf of the member making the complaint to the Press Council and ACMA and sort of streamline and um, organise all those complaints together rather than them being these very disparate, um, disheartening processes around the country. And then the second thing you can do on the website is... Um, is to share your story of um, if you have experienced, like you as the listener of this podcast and your friends and family, like if you have experienced harm as a result of something that's been published or broadcast in Murdoch's News Corporation mm. outlets, you can you can let us know um, through there. And so those the stories that are coming through at the moment are like um, you. Uh, like a woman who got off a plane um, in Sydney airport the day that the Daily Telegraph had the front page saying, China kids, stay home, and this big sort of China virus with the coronavirus, like awful racist stuff, um, and she got verbally um, verbally harassed in the mm -hmm. airport because she, well, the, the person perceived her <laughs> to be Chinese. Um, and so... Um, or um, we've got a really, uh, like, several really compelling stories of people who have watched family members become completely absorbed in the disinformation around vaccines and coronavirus treatment um, coming through Sky News. And so it's basically like what we're trying to do, what the campaign is trying to do there is to collect these personal stories um, to move the conversation around Murdoch's News Corp monopoly away from like which paper prefers which premier, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is very important, but like the impacts we believe of um, the Murdoch's treating the news as sort of like their cowboy, you know, just like treating it as if they're like their um you know, their Dear Diary blog posts of whatever their opinion might be. Um, you know, it, it's so it's so much greater than bullying leaders of political parties and, and the harm, we believe, extends um, right through to, like, the grassroots of the community. So we're, we're 
collecting these stories, A, to shift the public conversation around why why it's really important that we um, uh, sort of regulate for greater media diversity in Australia and also to make a case for a Royal Commission. Like these are the types of stories we think should be front and centre at a Royal Commission. Like we, mm-hmm. we previous Royal Commissions that have been, uh, you know, very successful um, have heard stories, for instance, of like survivors of child sexual abuse within institutions um, or, um, you know, aged, the, the Aged Care Royal Commission, you're hearing from bereaved family members. You know, it's like those, the stories of actual ordinary people who rely on the news as a source of information so that they can, you know, form opinions about um, how to live their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's those stories that we want to make sure are told because at the moment, you know, News Corp can say whatever they want in a paper and ordinary people have no right of reply if they've been bullied or if they've had a family member affected by misinformation or if their business has been, um, you know, vilified, all the rest of it. So that's afmrc.org.au. That's right. And if folks would like to sign up to um, sling us a few dollars every month, Mm -hmm. that would be incredible. It's a, a huge job. Um, and we're entirely funded by monthly contributions. So we'd appreciate that too. Thank you so much, Sally. Thank you. That was Sally Rugg, who is the National Director of Australians for a Murdoch Royal Commission. Um, and you can find them on, on Twitter, Facebook, and all over the place if you're interested in being involved in the campaign. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already subscribed, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or just about everywhere else you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to join our Facebook group, which is um, Facebook at Murdocracy Podcast, where there's lots of people keeping an eye on News Corp and posting really cool, fun stuff and having good, good conversations around it. And we have a Patreon. How's the Patreon going, Cam? It's going well. I mean, well, maybe we should have a ch- chat about doing some little special things for the people who mm-hmm. are uh, subscribing to us. Right now, it's just people who are, who are just saying, hey, we're supporting what you do. I'm actually, maybe I'll cook up something over the next week. We should do something special for them. But it, it does mean a lot for us. You know, we love doing this, but, um, you know, just a little cost here and there that makes it easier for us. So thank you to all our Patreons for their support. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you to Natalie Sekolovska, who is our producer, Kevin McLeod for the theme music, the ABC for the recordings from the archive, Ruby Innes for our artwork, and of course, as always, thank you, Sammy. Thank you, Cam. Bye. Bye.